<laughs> God, can y'all hear Gary? Okay. Yeah, uh, I haven't. We heard from him yet. You hear me now? Yeah. Good. <laughs> so let's jump in, man. Um, Pastor Keg, you want to open us up in prayer? Sure. Heavenly Father, though, we are always grateful and thankful just for who you are and for what you mean to us in our lives. God, we thank you for how you brought us through yet another year. And God, we just look forward to embracing the new that you have for us, that you're that you're taking us to the next level in you and that all things are of you. So God, we don't count a robbery to be called equal to you. We thank you for being your sons. And we know God that we're just expecting the greater, even through this broadcast that everybody that listens, everybody that tunes in, God, that they will be blessed, that your word will go forward. It will touch those lives, God, that it will not return to you void, but the word that is sown tonight will prosper in the hearts and the ears of those that hear it. And for that, we give you thanks and praise in Jesus name. Amen. 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 So I think this is our quorum for the night. Um, so the past two times we've been together, we've been talking about marriage and ministry, um, which has been really interesting and powerful, uh, to say the least. And this time around, we're actually going to be talking about when to shift gears in ministry for growth and given, you know, just the, um, the necessity of, uh, ongoing ministry growth, man, this is like the perfect, um, segue, especially, oh, this is what I meant to say, especially since the beginning of the year. And, um, you know, we are uh, trying to launch in the new year. So um, before we get started, Matt, was good? What's going on with you, sir? Uh, well, you know, uh, the mess is starting back up, you know, so we're getting back into the grind of, of, of school again. Um, Ministry-wise, you know, we, we, we have um, declared that this is a year of, of intentional impact. So every um, thing that we set out to do, we have to make sure that we are intentional and in what results we want to receive and that it has to have an impact. So one of the things that we've been really sharing with our leadership staff is that we cannot have any incompletes in 2019. If we say it, we got to do it. Um, and if it doesn't happen, it's not because we didn't plan for it, um, not because we've been diligent and being intentional and trying to impact that particular arena, uh, but it just wasn't the door that got open for us, and we can accept that. Um, and, and, and I can accept that versus um, we talked about it, we kind of planned for it, and we didn't get it done because we were ill-prepared <laughs> to handle the, the, the request uh, that was placed you know, on us you know, to fulfill as a ministry. So, you know, that's that's our focus this year is the year of, of intentional impact. So, um, you know, um, I have um, shifted some things, you know, as as, as you know, I, I share, of course, I share the preaching responsibilities. I have two dynamic uh, ministers on, on staff. So certainly we don't believe in allowing them to rest. Um, I don't believe that I have to be the only sole voice of, of preaching. Um, and I think it'd be ill-advised, you know, to have two uh, brothers that can deliver the word with clarity and with precision and have them just sit there and watch me every Sunday. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I still got to get fed too. Um, yeah. But I have increased uh, my, my preaching more so in 2019 uh, just because the Lord had laid upon me you know, that um, they, you know, my people need to hear the voice of the leader more often. And, um, and then that was solidified because I had some members that came to me and said, you know, you know, next year, I hope you, you preach more than you do. And now that I was just kind of like every now and then, but it was just the, the frequency of it. You know, if I preached three Sundays in a row, it was like, oh, wow, what's going on? You know, <laughs> mm. so now this year it, it's like, you know, first and second Sunday, man, you know, you're you going to hear from me. Um, and of course, we get toward the end of the year, I, I peel back a little bit so I can focus on 2020. Um, I just gave you guys a, a your theme for 2020 right there. You just you just missed it. Focus 2020. Nice. Thus said the Lord. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, man, um, that's that's where where, where we're kind of going, man. You know, so we're we're in the beginning stages of, of the year, and and uh, we have some exciting things that God is going to open up, you know, open up for us. Um, you know, in, in, in this year and the coming months. And I believe that would give us some very good exposure um, to the city um, and to the community. And so that's what we're really looking forward to do. Gary, Gary what's, what's, good? Good? what's good with you, man? Man, life is good. Um, I'm enjoying um, just this season of life. Um, it's nice to have a break from campus right now. 
Um, so we're, we're not going back into service until uh, January 22nd. So we're breathing, but that's next week now. So the break is almost <laughs> over. But I just enjoying this time with my family and uh, prepping. Uh, I had some team meetings. Have another one this Sunday. Um, I'm just enjoying life, man. Uh, we just, our, our, like you, uh, our focus this year is uh, just uh, doing what the Bible says. Um, and uh, I, I kind of put it out on my Facebook earlier, I think before the year ended, um, just saying like 2019 is the year we do what the Bible says. Um, and what I meant by that, more importantly, was that we would just have unrivaled obedience to scripture um, and stop kind of in, infusing our own thoughts into it and like, you know, trying to uh, live outside of what the Bible says. Um, so, yeah, that's just our thought <laughs> this year for our team is like I, a lot of people in 2018 just kind of did things their own way. Um, so we're going to, we're kind of, it's like a call to come back to biblical living um, for us. So okay. it's pretty good. Man, Pastor Kev, what's good with you, sir? Man, listen, you know, we've decreed that this year is the year of manifest. Everything that God has for us this year, we're going to begin to see it. Uh, we're embracing the new, and that's kind of like my theme for this year. Uh, just embracing the new that God has for us. Everything that's been hindering, everything that's been held up, you know, we're just believing that God is going to release it. You know, and we're just telling people, like, you know, you can't bring old baggage into the new year and then expect God to still do something new. So there are things that, you know, you have to be willing to let go of in order to see the manifested glory of God take place in your life. So, and then, you know, I'm retiring in April. So there are a lot of things that we're going to be able to do, you know, coming forward, going forward that I wasn't able to do last year. So I'm just excited for the new that God is going to do. And you just rubbed it in there, man. Oh, no. I mean, listen, you guys will be there one day. Well, just because I said I'm retiring, I'm retiring from this job, but not from ministry. I'll be, I'm still going to go full-fledged ministry. And I, like I said, there is actually going to be more on my plate ministerially-wise because I'm, I'm going to put more on my plate just because there is so much that I want to do for the kingdom of God that I haven't been able to do. So a lot of areas that you guys have been flowing in because, you know, you're able to put that time in. You know, a lot of that because of my work schedule, I wasn't able to do. So now, you know, come April, it's full steam ahead. Well, God bless you, man. And uh, for me and my wife, we are, um, Gary and I are sitting at the newest location of Living Faith Church. And I know, you know, for people watching and y'all watching, you know, y'all see me here uh, before, but we officially launched the third location um, this past Sunday, which is which is a, no, this two Sundays ago, which is a cool thing, you know. And as I said in the podcast that I recorded a couple weeks ago, um, that uh, getting to Sunday has been a big, big issue for me in terms of just getting to the point of just launching what the Lord has put on my heart to do. And this ministry was, in fact, that for me. And uh, I was encouraged by one of our members to just start it and see what happens. And, uh, you know, once we started it, you know, there's no turning back. So, um, I'm excited with two Sundays in, uh, we're now doing two services a Sunday now. Um, I'm tired, bro. <laughs> so I, I can't even, you know, I'm, I'm tired, but it's a good tire on Sundays, man. Thankful for the Lord for that. Amen. So, um, Given the beginning of the school year, uh, the calendar year, and given what we all the all updates we we, we just gave, um, this seems like the perfect subject to get into when to shift gears in ministry for growth. So here's like the first uh, question for discussion: Is there a ceiling to the growth of ministry or of a ministry? Anybody? Uh, anybody? <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe there is. I, I, I definitely believe there is. And I think that's mainly because a lot of ministries become stagnant and not knowing how to stay relevant with the times. So as I was looking over the notes or the questions that you had submitted for this topic, uh, I believe it was two and four kind of went hand in hand for me. You know, I believe that there is a ceiling, but I do believe that ceiling can be, you can go through that, but it takes, you know, the understanding and the wherewithal to know that you have a ministry has to stay relevant. You cannot just like in the old Testament, there were 
animal sacrifices that was given to God. But he said, like when Jesus came, he said, now there's a new covenant. There's a new way of doing things. You no longer have to provide animal sacrifices. So we make that word relevant to today. In a sense, there are still churches who are still trying to do animal sacrifices, not literally, but in the sense, if you understand what I mean, they're, they're still doing things the old way. And the old way doesn't attract the new. So when you have young people coming in and who want to hear more contemporary style music or who want to, you know, not necessarily wear the three piece suits to church and not come for the fashion show, I believe that churches just have to learn how to stay current, have to learn how to stay relevant so that you can always maintain the old, but still have something for the new people that are coming in also. It's mm. good. Um, I'll go. Um, I, I think that like I agree a lot with what you were saying. Um, I kind of jotted down that basically I think there's a ceiling to a different, different styles of ministry. Um, and, and, and for me and, and, uh, and what we currently know as ministry. So I think that in order to, you know, um, that there's a limit to the single pastor, you know that, right? Like, you know, they say around 200 people, you can't really care for them anymore mm. efficiently. So that style has to change. Um, and I think for a lot of people that scares people because we've thought of ministry in traditional ways. And so we, we're not, we're scared to break the ceiling. We never might break the ceiling if we're trying to stay the way we are. Um, so yeah, in order to change, like uh, with Moses, uh, Moses, uh, had to change the way he was doing ministry. He couldn't take the complaints of the people anyway, the same way he had been doing it once the people grew bigger. Um, and so his father-in-law gave him some wise information, get other people. Um, <laughs> so I think then the ceiling was broken in, in that way. So, yeah. Um, I, I, I agree that um, there could be, a, there, there could be a ceiling to, to ministry. Um, I, I do look at it from two angles, though. Um, there could be a um, self-inflicted ceiling, you know, and then there also could be a geographical ceiling. The self-inflicted ceiling, you know, is that your faith is not big enough to go beyond where you are. That's one. Two, you're comfortable with what you have. You don't want to get any bigger than that because, you know, you feel like I can't manage it. You, you may feel that I don't have the grace to go, go beyond. Thirdly, as you were saying about the traditions, not being able to, um, to fit within the, the, um, the climate that, you, that you're in, um, and you're still trying to do it the way that you've seen it done. And so that's also self, self-inflicting. Um, the geographical you know, ceiling is, if you're in a city of, of 150,000, the likelihood is, you know, you, you may only get but so far, okay? But doesn't mean that you can't have impact, but just where you are location-wise, um, you, you know, you, you can't get in, go any, any further because there may not be a certain need. You may have a desire to, to do a homeless work, but you may be in a city where there's not um, a, a, a great, you know, depth of, of homelessness. So it, it depends on... In my opinion, it, it depends on, on, on where you can be um, in a lot of cases that, you know, you may just hit hit your ceiling. And um, I think when it's more geographical, you know, you you have to be OK with that and just continue to operate in excellence and continue to to look how you can um, do ministry on a, on a greater level within that. Where it's not OK is when it's self-inflicting, because now you, you're limiting the power of God, um, you're limiting vision. You're going to become stale. You're going to become stagnant. You're going to become irrelevant, and um, and, and and so when people start migrating, you can't blame it on the devil. Amen. <laughs> you can't say what they just don't want to live right. That's why. That's why. I'm sorry, but that's why <laughs> they're leaving. <laughs> you know, I, well, you know, I've been on this keeping 100 since. Since 2017, so I just say it as I see it. But <laughs> you know, but you know, um, you know that's that's not why they're they're, le they're, they're leaving because they don't want to live right. They're, they're leaving because you're no longer relevant. 
Okay, you're you're, you're no longer capable of 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 serving this present age you're calling to fulfill. You're trying to take old wine, okay? <laughs> and you're trying to put it in new wineskin bottles and what happens, it bursts. Mm-hmm. And the reason why it bursts is because your church has only been conditioned to think one kind of way. You want to And you know what, and if I can kind of piggyback on what Pastor Matt was saying earlier, you know, how he's sharing the load with his other pastors, like he feels as though he doesn't have to do it all. And and I think that's another reason why a lot of ministries hit that ceiling, because you have pastors who feel as though they have to do everything. They have to preach every service. Uh, they're not trying to grow the body under them to elevate them to, to, you know, either to put them to let them go forward or to even to assist in the ministry at hand. So like he said, just like with Moses, Moses had too much going on. And it wasn't until somebody had to explain to him, man, you're not even doing the people any good, let alone yourself. You're not a benefit to the people who you're supposed to be serving because you're not empowering them so that they can grow and help push your ministry forward. So that's another reason why ministries hit ceilings. Man, I mean, there's so much. Um, I want to hit on some of these things. Uh, But, you know, there's a pastor. Uh, and, and their ministry was on Facebook, um, yesterday, of course. And I I could not help but feel like the stagnant growth of that church is tied to, um, not passing the torch and, uh, not doing things that make sense for a current generation. Right. And one of the things that has been pressed upon me over the past number of years is even though I'm kind of, you know, in the prime of my ministry, if you will, and and who Lord knows how long that prime lasts, it seems important to set in place a vision where you know that at some point at a certain age, your ministry is no longer relevant to the masses. Right. You're no longer the one that can speak volumes to a mass of people like you used to because new generations come on the scene people's pathways to faith in jesus become more treacherous and more variant think about how people came to christ in your grandmother's age and your mother and father's age and then how we came to christ it's just different man and it's not like you know we're saying there's something new under the sun. It, what we're saying is that life happens and life is happening in different ways to different generations, and it causes you to to come to Jesus at a certain point in time that's so specific to a generational type that an older generational type can't speak to it as they would to their current contemporaries. And we can criticize, you know, older generations for being irrelevant. The truth is, at some point, we're going to be irrelevant, right? And so not knowing when to move aside becomes an issue that prohibits leadership, uh, ministry growth, uh, and becoming stale and irrelevant. Matt, as you talked about, you know, we, we've been a part of churches where uh, people should have been become emeritus. You know, if you don't want to retire, great. But, man, you know, pass the torch in some way so that a younger population of preachers can keep the energy flowing in your ministry and i think this is probably another conversation piece is that the reason for some of the lack of growth is that the insecurity of the pastor where they no longer have the control and that that's a shame we got to say it that way but they no longer have the control over the ministry to dictate what happens next yeah let me say this i think i think that <clears throat> there's a key problem in, in the in the understanding of, of power structures when a person feels that way. Um, because when you give other people power, you become more powerful. Um, so I think that, I think other people who are afraid of losing power because they're giving away power don't understand that principle. Mm-hmm. That if I set myself up above powerful people, then I am more powerful than the people I've empowered. Um, and it actually gives, it frees me to do more than I was doing before. And I think that's one of the, th- the things that I think people who are uh, insecure about the release of power are just ignorant of what it means to actually hold power and then to empower the people. 
Man, that goes back to the whole leadership piece with yeah. Moses. Yeah. That the pyramid structure, the first known organizational structure in scripture, it, while it, it takes away responsibility and burdens, it actually gives you more authority. Right. Yeah. And the decisions you, you made were, were, were way more important now. Yeah. You no longer dealt with the bottom level stuff. He was, every decision that he now makes is like huge. So it's just, it's different. Right. Man. And it also freed him up to be the visionary right. because he didn't have to worry about everything else. Now he could really focus on being in the face of God and getting in the direction that they were all supposed to go in. Man, that's so true. And, you know, studying leadership, I can tell you one of the difficulties that new leaders have is letting go of frontline responsibility while taking on the role of being the visionary and leader of a project or an organization. People who are on the front line find it very difficult to let go of what they used to do because they like to be close to the population. And like you said, man, you know, you get to a certain point in your church where it grows and you no longer can can minister mm-hmm. directly. You got to let it go. Right. You know, and Matt, you know, we, we know personally in smaller churches, it becomes extremely difficult, whether if the pastor's resident or not. For them to let go of responsibilities, you know, so they'll let go of opening the doors of the church, but they won't let go of relevant ministry external to the church, which could which could add to the church, such as should be saved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as, as I, um, I think the, the the tragedy that happens primarily um, within urban churches, I, I'll, I'll say it that way. Um, I like that. Yeah, is is that you fail to remember that what is what you consider to be new and and cutting edge eventually is going to be old <laughs> when you get about 60 <laughs> and if you don't have people around you that have visionary um, a visionary mentality that can help you kind of navigate through the fogginess of, of your thoughts, you will be exactly what you loathed and despised when you were in your thirties. So true. You know, right. I, I would, I would share this. Um, some of you may know him, but my, my spiritual father, Bishop Mark Moore, um, has a, a leadership conference, which of course I invite you guys to, to consider in November of, of this year. But, um, when we were strategizing, for the conference in 2018, I just had a moment where I just really looked around the room and he was the oldest person in the room. Everybody, we're talking about a conference of, of thousands of dollars that, that we're trying to you know, budget here. And everybody around the room was diverse in age level, you know, his son, Mark Jr., you know, of course, Elder Mark Jr. has the Young Leaders Conference, which has exploded over these last three three years, but he's 30. Then you have others at, like, 25 range. Then, you know, I'm I'm that 40 and, and that 40 to 30 range, you know. So he has, and he's not old by, by, by any means. I mean, he's, he's only 54 years old, you know. So, but when you Yeah, that's the, not old at all. No, that's not. You know, and so he's like, hey, 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 you know, but, 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 but my point is, could you imagine, could you imagine if he had men his age, per se, or a little bit older trying to put together a pastors and leaders conference? Everybody, prob- most likely, you know, most likely, probably would have tried to to create something that's comfortable for them. Okay. So now we throw different names, which I won't reveal right now, but we throw different names at him. That is obvious. That would be literally out of the box. Like y'all really trying to invite him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yep. <laughs> we throw it, but he's open. Like, okay, why? Because one thing I plugged to him was you, you now have the emerging 40 and under pastors and leaders that are coming and if you're only going to cater to a certain demographic then this is not going to last very long Mm -hmm. 
But if you're trying to to have something that is perpetual, you know, that when you hand it over to whoever that they may be, you know, you may not necessarily be overseeing it, but your work can still go on because it has the culture of what we do is about visionary thinkers and not surrounding yourself with people that just think just like you. That's right. And so that's why urban churches, I think, oftentimes loses its ability to, to function and to be relevant and to operate with precision and power is because we, we don't know how to shake stuff up. If, it, if it's been working, we'll continue to do it. And then when the next generation or the next wave come through, comes through, all right, you got to get on the surfboard and be able to ride the wave. Right. All right. right. But what happens is we get on the beach and we love the scenery. Yep. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. And so the wave is going. And then, like I said, then 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 when the results doesn't come back the way we want it, we want to say, well, the, the, the Lord, the, the yep. Lord just, you know, he says it's only going to be a few. Yeah, man. You know, I want to talk about letting go, right? And this is probably all script for us, right? I've said this uh, several times in the past week or two, the first and probably best example that we can think, well, no, it's not the first example because the first example I have letting go would be Moses's uh, organizational structure being implemented. But Jesus uh, sending folks out two by two is such a prime example of what it means to let go, uh, especially in an environment where you cannot see what they do. You can only judge them based on the results. In Moses' case, he can see what's happening in real time because he's there, you know, overseeing the judges and what they're doing. Jesus went sent folks out two by two, told them don't take a, a, a purse for money and to, in fact, live off the ministry. And if you find some success, stay there, which means that Jesus had no immediate visible oversight. He can only go based off of the testimonies. How how do we in, in a modern church learn to start letting go, especially in a culture where the pastor believes I am the fear and I have to preach every Sunday to make sure the people of God are being fed? Well, see, one thing that Jesus did was that the first thing he did was that he, he gathered his disciples and then he taught them. He gave them the blueprint. After they had the blueprint, then he trusted them enough to send them out. And what you have nowadays, you have certain pastors who are in position who, number one, aren't really pouring in like they sh- from, from a standpoint of I'm pouring in to send you out. They're pouring in just so that you can receive the knowledge, but not to the point where, like Jesus said, listen, I've taught you guys, I've walked with you, I've given you the instructions, and I've given you the power. Now I want you to go out and demonstrate everything that I've taught you. And he had full confidence in them, even though he knew that they were going to drop the ball, Mm. even though he knew that they were going to make mistakes. And see, pastors today have to realize that, you know, just how they came up, just how we all came up, we had to learn what to do, what not to do. The same thing when you when you empower people, you have to be willing enough to trust them enough that, okay, when you go, yes, you're going to make mistakes, but you come back. Like Pastor Matt was saying earlier, every pastor needs a pastor. Every pastor sometimes needs to sit at the table and not worry about serving the food, but be be willing to eat the food. You have to be fed also. So Jesus, he fully trusted his disciples to where he said, listen, now you can go. I've, I've given you everything that you need to go and be successful. And that's, and that's what I think that we have to, we, pastors have to be willing to do today. I think you tapped on something, something major there, because I think a lot of people are training people to serve in their ministries mm. and not training people for anywhere beyond that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, cause like, you know, we're just looking for somebody to moderate or somebody to help them during their altar call. But are you training people so that they can take over a church one day? Are you training them so that you can feel comfortable um, sending them out? Because you know what you've been pouring into people. And I feel like if you can't send people out that have been under your tutelage for some time, people that you've ordained and licensed, you can't trust them with preaching engagements. You can't trust them to stand in the pulpit. It has a lot more to do about what you've been doing to shape them and just really been unfaithful to 
your basic call is, is a pastor. Because, like, for me, I always tell the, the students on campus, and I don't know, maybe I just learned this at an early age, and I'm like, man, and it's out of context for them, but I'm like, yo, I'm Phil Jackson, and yeah, y'all, y'all, y'all the Chicago Bulls, you know what I mean? Like, I ain't out here trying to, um, you know, be Michael Jordan. I'm trying to find the next Michael Jordan and train him and grow a team. I, you know, I'm just trying to be back here and facilitate. <laughs> Yeah, Matt, where you at on this? Um, from what I've seen, um, I think it's it's a disservice to the body of Christ if I'm the only voice, if I'm the only voice that matters um, in the house. And what, what I mean by by that is, I'm I'm the only voice that they can receive instruction or, or, or biblical instruction from. Not direction, but instruction. Mm. And if I'm an insecure leader, I'm trying to be the one giving directions and giving instructions. And so it's a disservice um, to, to, to the people when they can't receive anything else but from you, you know, and just as you were sharing, uh, Pastor Gary, you know, I'm supposed to be developing you so that you can go and either plant or I can put you in that place where I am so I can go plant another location and I have to sweat and worry about, you know, what's going to happen because I know what I've, what I have poured into you. I know what I have entrusted you. I've given you baskets. You know, I've given you the, the fishes and the loaves and blessed it and said, now you go feed them. Okay. And and then I'm telling you, go get the fragments and put them in the basket. I, you know, you, you allow them to develop and exercise their, their gift. Um, I've seen this happen where pastors, um, don't want to preach for whatever reasons they're, they're tired or whatnot. They're kind of burned out, been a long week. And then they let one of the social ministers give the word and it fails, <laughs> you know? So then now what you got to do is if you want to take a sabbatical for two or three weeks, you got to call your boys from, from Dallas, you know, or, you know, call, Pastor Will from from Connecticut say, "Hey Doc, man, I, I need you to cover for me this Sunday, man. Can you fly in?" <laughs> you know, no, it should be not that I can't call you for you to come and minister, but it really should be I'm okay for taking two weeks off because guess what, my two associate ministers, they 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 are grinding in the word just like I am, and I'm very confident that even in my absence the word is still going to go forth. And sometimes I think some pastors do it on purpose. I mean, I'm just saying, I'm sorry if, if, if that is a bold accusation, but sometimes I wonder if it's done on purpose so that you can stay in that place. Because like job security. Yeah, like job, exactly, like job security. Because, you know, if, if he preach a message, kind of like the Saul syndrome, you know, you killed your thousands, but David killed ten thousands. Now you you worried about you know when you do an altar call, you know a few people show up, and when this brother do an altar call, man, these jokers at the altar they 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 falling out, you know, <laughs> folks getting healed, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, Cain's being thrown on the platform, you know, <laughs> and now you feeling now you getting the Saul syndrome, and now you trying to figure out how can I kill this dude. Right. How can I kill his influence? Because I need to make sure I stay the only voice. That's that's crazy, man. That is dysfunctional to the 10th degree. No, it should be that do more than what I'm doing, man. OK, but the only time that's a problem is when you're not being consecrated. No way. So, you know, don't hate the brother because he's fasting and, and, and he's praying and he's seeking God. And so when he stands before God's people, God can use him to his fullest, fullest capacity. Will, we know this, man. We did a lot of stuff that we that we thought um, they were doing. And so when we stood and got greater results, then it was like, well, hold up. 
you know, we, we, we got to figure out how to squash you, you know, you know, type of thing. I'm not intimidated by my associate ministers. In fact, I would say my assistant pastor probably preached better than I do. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm good because really, y'all, the, the, the goal is so I can go plant another location. Yeah. All right. That's, that's, that's the goal. So mm. I can go do the work of a bishop. <clears throat> yeah. For real. And not just carry the title of one and don't have no evidence to go with it. <laughs> but be one. You're right. And actually, yeah, it's a, be one. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, what comes uh, what comes to mind, um, I pulled up Second Timothy two. And, you know, this is an example of, you know, a senior leader setting the tone for somebody in ministry who's coming up, who's young, who is uh, on a come up. And this is what Paul says to Timothy, uh, you then my child, my son be strengthened by the grace that is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. And you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is, this is, this is Paul, not only passing the ministerial torch, down to Timothy, he's teaching Timothy how to pass the torch. It is healthy for leaders to train leaders how to be leaders. It is one of my joys of my job to not only train the next level of leaders down, but to teach them how to identify and train talent under them. Because now as the, the head leader, I'm creating a backlog of leaders who can fill in at any given time if there's a, a gap somewhere, Right. And that is an, a power, that's a powerful thing. Uh, he also says in verse three, share in suffering as a good shoulder, soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. He's simply saying, you know, a good follower, a good teammate that you're developing, that you're, you're teaching is not going to focus on trivial things if you teach them to do that. But they will focus on making sure they make the pastor look good. They make the leader look good. But you have to invest in them. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 14. And this is where the teaching of leaders come into play. Remind them of these things. Yes. Remind them that if we've died with Christ, we are to live with him. If we are to endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we're faithless, he will remain faithful. Remind them of these things and charge them, teach them, command them before God not to quarrel over words, which does no good. Do, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. And it goes on and on and on about what is to be expected. But at the end of the day, what Paul is saying, if you're going to develop quality, quality teaching talent, preaching talent, and quality, quality leadership talent, mm-hmm. you have to teach your people to do these things. Ignore irrelevant babble and ungodly conversation. Don't gossip uh, like others have done. Uh, don't swerve from the truth. Don't focus on foolish things. You got to be able to teach and be able to love, perhaps persuade your enemy to come back to Christ. And if we're not teaching those things to our ministers, you know, when they get up on a Sunday to preach, what, what are they going to preach? Yeah. It's going to be an epic fail, like you said. And the church is losing out on the development of leadership talent mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, we just talked about it earlier. You know, you know, if you're giving, you know, they, preachers need to preach to get better. <laughs> and, and I they got to practice. Yeah. yeah man. We've, we've misinformed people about where they can preach. You know, like, you know, there's so many other places than the pulpit on a Sunday morning that they can have opportunities to preach. Go down to the youth ministry. Actually, youth pastor need to sub for one week. I mean, there's so many places. Go to the convalescent home. Go to uh, um, to the youth, you know, to a, a children's ministry event. Go, you know, uh, to a college campus. There's so many places where you can get out and exercise that gift. Preach in the shower. Preach at home. I mean, you know what I mean? Preach to your family. And I think what happens is they, they, they're, they're learning how to preach um, just because uh, they're getting this one time a year. If we, I mean, imagine how we would preach if we only preach once a year. If that was the limit. You know, oh, if somebody didn't uh, release us to go do more, yes, um, train us, and and then 
I think I can speak for myself. A lot more was caught than was taught for me. Um, a lot more <laughs> came from my own personal intrigue. And I was sitting uh, recently, one of our uh, young ministers, up and coming ministers at our uh, college church wanted to preach. And, you know, so I was like, okay. So I sat down with him and I started pouring all of this knowledge about preaching to him. Like literally what has taken me like nine years to get, he just got in like, two or three hours of like books that I've read. And of course not the complete depth of it, but he certainly got more than when I started. And, and I, and I remember having this thought in another instant where uh, kind of the, the, one of the brothers at the church who preaches with me, um, he was preaching his first sermon there. And I was like, Oh my God, I can leave. Ah, oh, thank God. Like someone else preaches as good or better than me. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> like I can take a break. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I can leave this church and yeah. they're still going to be faithful preaching. Yeah. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah, and, 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 and I didn't, I didn't get intimidated by that. What's the point? Yeah. yeah like, I was like, man, this brother can will and deal. Cool. Nice it's a service. Man, and I was <laughs> telling, uh, Gary in the previous, uh, podcast that we were talking about that you and I grew up in a context where as associate ministers, we preached 50, 60 sermons a year. Yeah. That, that was one of the positive, you know, one of the positives you take away from that experience because, you know, we had church almost every day of the week. <laughs> <laughs> there was always an opportunity. If you yeah. There was always an opportunity to preach. man. <laughs> and if you're going to show up when there's only two people there, you can practice. Right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> um, but it was like wonderful. And I've always cherished those experiences because we were never relegated to preaching a funeral. Yes. Which which I don't know if there's wisdom in that because it seems awkward that the first sermon I preach or the one of the few sermons I preach in a year is at the celebration of life of your loved one. <laughs> that's kind of awkward. Yeah. You know, if it don't go well, like that's the last memory you have of that loved one. You know, versus how we grew up, Matt, you know, whether it was an occasional Sunday afternoon, an occasional Sunday evening, Tuesday yeah. evening, Thursday evening, then there were ministerial, you know, opportunities with the subset ministries. We were just given opportunities, man. And yeah. that was like the perfect time to mess up, make mistakes. I don't know about you growing up, man. I, I used to record myself, Yeah, you know, not for the <laughs> sake of posting on social media because it wasn't that big back then, but for the sake of just getting better. Right. Yeah. Um, the way the way I, I grew up, you know, it, it was as if God was al already sanctioned the ministry on, on, in my life before I got a piece of paper that said that I could do it from from the pulpit. Um, in fact, you know, our former pastor he stuck us up there, man, before we even got a piece of paper. You know, and, and the old folks would be mad like there ain't no preacher he was like the only difference between the piece of paper and what he's doing is he don't have a piece of paper yet <laughs> <laughs> so man we was up in the pulpit man going forth man and um you know um uh you know you made your, your blunders and things of the nature trying to find your voice yes. uh, that nature um you know then when i moved here to gainesville um, you know, Pastor Owens, my, my former pastor, you know, put put me to work. So you now I was on Tuesday nights, man. I was doing Thursdays, and um, and then when they, you know, uh, when I passed the the or the examination and things of that nature, it was like, okay, man, you know, after probably like the first month, it was like it's on and popping, dude. You preaching every Sunday, just like I am. So he'll preach the daytime. I preached the nighttime or if it was youth day, you know, I was preaching in the daytime. And, and, and so then he got me to a, a rotation, man, to where, you know, it was, it was like, you know, first, um, well, second and fourth Sunday, man, I was in the daytime, you know, he was at night first and third Sunday. He was daytime. I was at night, you know, then, you know, um, given the responsibility to, when we start to introduce the, the Bible study aspect of, of our ministry on Tuesday nights, instead of doing the, the typical thing we grew up with, the deacons would give the message and all of that stuff like that. So I was constantly always given the word. And then um, in the early part of the ministry, then I started getting exposure to where I was preaching in different environments. Well, the reason why I was able to, to cross denominational lines growing up as a holiness, Pentecostal holiness preacher was because in my private moments, 
I would practice as if I was preaching. <laughs> the mm-hmm. other congregations that didn't, that wasn't like mine. You know, I literally, in in in, in my private moments, allow God to deprogram me. Mm-hmm. You know, so where, where I could go preach at a United Methodist Church, you know, I could go preach at a, you know, for, for a good three or four months, man, it was like the Methodist Church was calling me to do revivals. You know, and people marvel, how is it that you grew up a Pentecostal holiness preacher and you preaching a meth a, a Methodist revival? Yeah. And never and was able to preach under the authority and the power and wisdom of God. You know what I'm saying? So it is it's it's crazy because of having those opportunities, man. You know, my, my pastor could go go up to Alpha Mountain in Helen, Georgia on Sunday morning and not worry about what was going to happen. When my father-in-law, you know, was sick, and he couldn't go preach at, at his church there in Athens, Georgia, and I was there every Sunday preaching in his in his absence in, until he was able to get back in the pulpit. You know, so I had all of this opportunity, um, whereas in certain cultures, um, you know, you, you get your occasion every now and then, and you like, you better not mess up. Man, that's, that's, <laughs> tough. Man. And that's, that's a lot of pressure. That's, that's, that's too much pressure, man. And, and it's unfair to them because now they've been measured on that one opportunity. Yep. I remember hearing one pastor, and, 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 I'm, and I let this go. I remember him saying he was in his flesh. I mean, he was, in my opinion, he was, he was, he was in his flesh. And he, you know, pulpit full. He, I mean, dude had like seven or eight associate ministers. Don't know why. But, um, he, he was like, you know, some of these, you know, uh, uh, associate ministers, they, they want to know when I'm going to get a chance to preach. Well, if you want to preach, go find your own pulpit. <laughs> well, guess what? Uh, quite a few of them took him up on that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then that quorum of ministers he had shrunk down to the ones he, he didn't really want to deal with. Because they were not, they they were not gifted and anointed, mm. you know. So, you know, if, if you are a pastor watching this, be be careful, be be careful saying stuff like that because you might just get what you asked for. What you asked for, man, and not. then you'll be left with what you don't want. And and your church suffers. Exactly. The, the you know, man. I think this you know whole conversation is is it comes back to sound quality leadership, man. You know, the biblical example of Moses knowing when to set up an organizational structure that governs lower level ministerial needs is vital. Mm -hmm. The example of David having ambidextrous fighters Mm -hmm. is vital, meaning that David, if he needed to take a moment to himself, to hear from God about strategy. Meanwhile, yes. his men are fighting. His men were capable fighters like he was. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, the Bible is, is littered with examples of what it means to have a stable of leaders, a portfolio of leaders and releasing them to do what God has blessed them to do. That at the end of the day, that that is, you know, if, if we're leaving people with a concluding thought about, you know, how to move forward, how to break through, you know, or how to make shifts in your ministry for growth. I don't know if it's a strategy versus releasing the people you got mm-hmm. not to leave you. I mean, yeah, if for some people they need to leave, leave, but releasing them to work in the ministry God has given you because what? It ain't your ministry in the first place. Right. Release exactly. To lead the men's ministry. Release folk to preach once or twice a Sunday if if the opportunity presents itself, release folks to do Bible study. One of the one of the cool examples um, I noticed the past couple of years, T.D. Jakes is a well-known preacher in our country, around the world. And I was fascinated when he brought in Dr. Cynthia James to take over midweek Bible study on a permanent basis. This mm-hmm. woman has experience teaching and leading in her own right, preaching and leading in her own right. And for him to lay aside ego to give the platform to a well-rounded, well-educated scholar to lead Bible study 
on a permanent basis, which is like one of the most uh, egoless decisions a leader can make in the church mm-hmm. to cede the platform to someone who is capable of of managing it. Yes. Meanwhile, frees him up to do whatever he's doing. Movies, preaching elsewhere, counseling, bishoping, whatever that, you know, whatever you you can think of. Because he's given up mm-hmm. control to be seen Sunday and Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. So, you know, as we wrap up, what, what's your part in thought, Gary, in terms of, you know, making shifts in ministry and <clears throat> and all that comes with that? Um, I think I think one of the things that I that I thought earlier in thinking through this was that um, growing needs more laborers. And I think that, um, you know, when, when you get to the point where you are, you know, find yourself like this kind of like this bottlenecking going on where it's just a bunch of people looking and, you know, for positions to serve. Um, and you got people who are leaving, who are frustrated, who are underutilized, and then people are not being cared for. I think it's really, you know, when you no longer, when you no longer feel like you need new laborers, um, you may have just stalled out. You know what I mean? Where you, cause like, I feel like when you, when you, when you, when you want to do more, you need more people. And I feel like when you feel like, oh, man, there's nothing more we can do or like you just kind of get through the ceiling, it might be because you're ceasing to grow. And so there's no need for fresh blood. There's no need for that because um, you're just doing the same thing. Mm. So for me, it's like, you know, I want to encourage people like, you know, um, you know, still try to expand. If your ministry is stalled out, if you think you've hit a ceiling, like rework it. Go back to the drawing board and can ministry look differently than it looks today? Um, and how can you incorporate the people around you? Because the truth is, either you got bottlenecking going on or you're sending people out. Um, and if you're not sending people out, they're leaving. I mean, I would. I mean, and I would advise people who uh, are in a ministry where they're being, they have massively good, you know, just important gifts and they're, they're gifted and you're just not letting them serve or not finding a place for them. Yeah, go where you can serve, personally. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Matt? What's your parting thought? Um, it, you won't stay stagnant. And, of course, I'm in the infancy stages of pastoring and building a church. So I, I, I would interject, by all means, I'm not speaking from a place of expert. I, this is not my fifth location in planning. This is my first um you know, location. <laughs> um, but I, I do know that you can you, you can create a culture as such where um, when that ministry is bathed in prayer, yeah. you can't stay stagnant. Mm. And I would just share this even on Sunday that we don't want to get so lost in our strategic planning that we fail to realize that except the Lord builds the house. Yes. He that labors, labors in vain. And for us as millennials, uh, we, we have to be very careful um, of not becoming so heavy on strategy that uh, we are weak in prayer. Mm. I think for this 21st century um, church, you become stagnant because you become too strategy heavy. And when you start running out of ideas, then you start feeling like, well, okay, maybe there's nothing else to do. No. Um, If you are a person that postures themselves in prayer, you know, the work is continuous. And God will continue to anoint you with fresh, fresh oil for the season that you are in. Secondly, when you are bathed in prayer. Sometimes he will let you know that it is time for you to pass it on. Yes. And that's how you stay fresh and relevant because now you're able to step aside. What you gave was a powerful example. And it, it, it helped me to remember that the fact that Bishop T.D. Jakes acquiesced that part of ministry to a very well capable woman of God. I mean, I love hearing Dr. Cynthia James. She's an awesome uh, uh, instructor and teacher of, of the word. but push ego aside and say, let me release that. You know, let me release that. And and that takes growth and, and maturity to not feel like you are the most important voice. So, um, 
you know, th- three things. You know, if, if you're going to stay, you stay relevant and you, and you are not going to be stagnant if you stay in prayer. Number two, if you start investing in your leaders now so that they can be equipped to handle greater levels of ministry responsibility, you know, um, and, and thirdly, knowing when your time is up and you don't have to be 80 years old to know that your time is up <laughs> just because your time may be up at 50. It doesn't mean that you can't do anything else. It's just that it's now for a new voice and God is opening doors for you to do something, something else. Say it again, and, Pastor Cap. Say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> it ain't over because you did that. No. Yeah. Again, you know, so, I mean, seriously, sometimes that, that that your season may be up at, at 50 for being the, the senior pastor. Okay. God may say, you know what, I want you to go to a, uh, to a remote location where don't nobody even know who you are, but yet you're able to take some country folk, man, and they can turn that city upside down. You know, that's what Jesus did. That's why he said, greater works shall you do than what I've done. And think about it. 11 dudes, if you count Paul as 12, as he even said he was one that was born in due season, shook the world upside down. And we are still building on the work they did well over 3,000, yeah, almost 3,000 years ago. Okay. Well, that's the type of legacy we want to leave as pastors. Mm. You know, that when people look around and say, man, you know what? He was able to to open these doors and he gave these opportunities and he built these leaders. And the reason why we're continuously flourishing is because, man, we bathe ourselves in prayer Mm. along with our strategy. If you got strategy and no prayer, I promise you, you will be stagnant at some point. That's good, man. Um, I'll, I'll leave with this. Um, I didn't get a chance to really talk about this, but uh, if you're trying to figure out how to do this and you don't know where to start, you need to find friends in the ministry. You know, the way we grew up, Matt, your friend in the ministry lived in like, you know, the next state and you got to drive three hours, like, you know, and that, 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 and there weren't enough local friends in the ministry you could call on growing Mm -hmm. up. Right. Um, One of my friends in the ministry is sitting right next to me. And when there's a deficiency in uh, availability of leaders because some are still under development, you need somebody you can call on to partner. Dr. Cynthia James and C.D. Jakes, and I don't know the details of that relationship, man, but just, you know, assessing it from the outside looking in, that's a true ministerial partnership where both can do what they do well and there's no ego, there's no, you know, frustration that I don't get no shine on Sunday. You know, Mm -hmm. I... There's enough on Wednesday night. There's enough on Sunday afternoon or Sunday morning. You know, when I'm not available to preach at my church, you know, he's one of the first people I'll call, you know, to fill in the gap um, where, you know, at one of my locations, they're used to him. He's the unofficial assistant pastor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yes, sir. and the only reason why he don't come more is because he preaching elsewhere. Right. And so it's okay to have friends in the ministry learning how to find voices that resonate with your people being secure and knowing that while they love Gary, they love me more. Right. <laughs> and it's yeah. okay. Like it's okay. They call you when they need something. That don't call me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yo, Pastor Gary, great, man, but we missed you. Right. <laughs> you know, and that that's where the love of the shepherd and the flock comes into play. You know, that people still gonna love you, man. You know, because you know, you're their you're their you're their first provider. Right. Yes. You know, and it's okay to share, man. So that's kind of like, you know, for me, uh, that's huge when figuring out um, how to shift gears and knowing, you know, when to pass it on, man. You know, like you said, sometimes you don't have to be 50. You can be our age and say, yo, the ministry I got, I've taken it where it needed to be. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm going to oversee the growth of this ministry to the next phase as its bishop or overseer while I plant something fresh yeah. and still tutor and nurture the current pastor coming in. You see shifts happening at new birth. Yeah. You no, know, Jamal looked like he got something fresh on him. You know, yeah. if you really look at him from, from uh, where he came from, from Baltimore to new birth, it, it, he looks like a brand new dude. 
Um, John Gray, despite all that was going on with him, he looks mm-hmm. fresh. John, Ron Carpenter looks fresh at yeah. 50. You know, guys are moving around on bigger platforms. And what I'm, you know, taking away from those transitions is, look, it's okay to, to, to let go and give up. It doesn't mean that you're giving up on God, man. It's, it means that, yo, you know, my season here has yeah. ended Bro, for this flock because it's not my church. Story, Doc. Yeah. Because we didn't know how to do that in uh, no. some of our churches. No, uh, we how, died. Yeah. We and didn't then know how to no like, will, yeah. no training plan. Who's going to be the pastor? I don't know. Maybe the pastor's son, but well, he's busy sleeping around with everybody. Lord. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who we going to pick? Lord, we thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Bro. And then some churches go pastorless for years because yeah, of the yes. deacon board process, which uh, yeah. is not even a process. Yeah, man. That's right. a whole thing in the warms. I think you're hitting it, bro. I mean, because <laughs> we, 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 we need that. We need people who are saying, look, man, uh, I don't have to be here forever. I'm not Jesus. No. Yeah, yes. I think that was that was the the one of the dopest things that that John the Baptist said, yo. Like when they were like, "Yo, he's baptizing more people than us." He was like, "Yo, it should be like that." Yeah, like, <laughs> been waiting on this cat, bro. Yes, like, and I'm not the Christ. And what did he say? <laughs> he said, "Yo, a ear of corn can't grow unless the seed dies, right?" Oh, so yes. now, greater works you'll do. In my name. In my name. Be right. out, like, you can hear it. It's in my name. You know, it's, like, it's, a, it's a growth, man. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the ceiling, it, it, honestly, is us. Say no. that. Bro. No. <laughs> Sometimes you're your own ceiling. You know, it can't get past you. I if felt the quickening in my spirit. Yeah, nah, I felt that If you can get past yourself, then maybe the ministry can grow, it's man. Arrogant leaders, yo. <laughs> it is. I mean, it, it is. It's, it's, it is. It's the spirit of arrogancy that it has filtrated for generations. Yeah. Mm. And oftentimes we replicate what has been modeled before us. That's it. Yeah. So <laughs> so I'm 80 years old forgetting my sermons. You know? <laughs> you know. You can't even stand up in the pulpit. No you can't, nah. you can't, even, you can't <laughs> even do it, Doc. You can't even do it, man. You know, and they everybody's standing around smiling, like, you know. You know, looking at you like you already died. <laughs> <laughs> I refuse. Y'all hear me? I refuse mm-hmm. for people to look at me like I've already died and I'm still living. We won't yeah. let you. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Please don't. It's <laughs> <laughs> old. It gets old, man. I just yeah. think there's just so much to do. And there's so much more to do in training more pastors. I have thought about when I turn 50 something launching a church just for pastors because pastors don't get fed. Mm. Pastors preach all day. When's yeah. the last time they sat down to get fed? Yeah. And and a church that's after hours on mm. a Sunday, giving them rest, allowing them to sit down and get a word. Yes. Because bishoping can't just be visiting every city, getting on a rainier. You know, there has to be a consistency and a pouring in yeah. of other pastors, constant training and development. These roundtables is an example of this with the idea you're in tinkering with in the New England area. That that's that's the, the future of consistent oversight. Sure. You know, constant pouring in development of the next wave and getting the heck out of the way as they show growth and maturity, allow them the space to make mistakes. And be there with them, owning that the mistakes with them. Yo, what happened when Jesus came down from the uh, uh the mountain after transfiguration? He couldn't cast out the demon of the little boy. Mm. You know, they couldn't get the fruit of the ministry because they were trying to do whatever they saw Jesus do, and Jesus showed them how to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's an ongoing teaching situation, man, and mm-hmm. allowing it to happen, allowing people to go to the associate pastor minister. Can you cast out the demon? Sure. It didn't work. Okay, what I do wrong? Right, right. Make a teaching moment. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's, that's a whole nother roundtable conversation. Yeah. Any shameless plugs? Oh, I got a new podcast coming out oh, in February. Yeah. <laughs> Called Joy in the Home. Um, aside from being a pastor, chaplain, everything else, itinerant preacher, I'm also a stay-at-home dad. Um, so I want to talk about you know having joy in the home. Like, how do you still survive? Uh, spending your daytime hours at home with screaming kids and still find 
joy in Christ and find worth in the eyes of society. So, mm. yeah. That's deep. Matt, any <laughs> shameless plugs? No, no, no shameless plugs. Um, as of right now, we, we're, we're in off season. Um, <laughs> as far as conferences are concerned, <laughs> we're in the off season. <laughs> You know, but as soon as we get close to that, I, I will, without a, a shadow of a doubt, we'll be plugging you with the website <laughs> where you can go and register. Amen. <laughs> My only shameless plug is Living Faith has a new home, third location, 75 Charter Oak Ave, building one in Hartford. Awesome. Um, a new intimate community come through. Um, yeah, man, it's it's special. That's all I can say. That's what's up. Cool. So we'll catch you guys next month. Yes, sir. This is good.